Hey, everybody, you're listening to Driving Them In with Jim Campanis Jr. and Eric Lenneberg, a show we decided to uh, start doing when uh, we realized we always called each other and talked about baseball. So I incorporated this call uh, into my commute home. And today I'm on the 57 North crawling uh, from Brea, California, up to my home uh, in near Diamond Bar. Eric, how you doing today, man? I'm doing good, Campy. Whatever I hear you describe where you're at on the freeway and stuff, it makes me think of that Saturday Night, Saturday Night Live skit, The Californians. This is part of life. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, every day you drive to your office, and mine, this current commute is, uh, I've had 45-mile commutes that took two hours, um, and now I have a 14-mile one. Um, and it takes an hour, 40, 45 oh, minutes wonderful. to an hour, just because of the way the mountains are situated and the way they built the roads, and there's not really many alternatives. So we're all stuck staring at each other going, uh, I'm, I'm up to, I'm actually up to 26 miles an hour at the moment uh, as the red lights are coming up. But hey, this is uh, life uh, in Southern Cal, and uh, you, you, know, you know the story. And, you oh, know, yeah. Phoenix, I lived in Phoenix, and, and people would complain about the commute, and I'd be like, Dude, it takes 23 minutes to get home. I mean, it's nothing. I mean, 23 minutes a commute is like a dream if you're in California. Yeah. That's, that's literally the time it takes a lot of my friends just to get onto the freeway that they need to take to get to work, just, just to get on. The first, uh, this is the first summer in, I think, 12 years. I was talking to someone earlier. First summer in 12 years that I haven't uh, spent a lot of time in California and Washington and other places. I spent the whole summer in Phoenix. I had forgotten what unbridled joy it is to be yeah. here. It's 115 degrees. So, uh, and I saw there's a little. Uh, it's like there's another week of it coming up for you guys, and um, that's. I, I've been there, man. I've been in that. I've been. Li- I live there. I mean, you know, you, yeah, you and I. I know. And uh, I'd look at that, and man, there, there's there's you have several options. You know, you can complain, you can, you can deny it, uh, you can say that it's not that hot. Uh, you're still lying to yourself <laughs> any way you look at it. You know. It's it's a tough yeah. one, but but you, but wait wait until December when everybody else is is under snow and it's raining and and you're out on the uh, over at the pool with the, you know getting a suntan and on the golf course and you make up for it. The Arizonans make up for it in the uh, in other and, and of the year. Going to Arizona fall league games. I'll be sitting oh, yeah. again this year with John DiAquisto and we'll be awesome. talking about how nice the weather is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. So, that that that's that's what that's the equalizer. So although you're suffering. Just, just keep thinking. Uh, just a couple more months. Just a couple more months. That's and right. Be golden. That's right. So, <laughs> well, anyway, we have a uh, we have a fun show in store today. Um, there's also we some do. connections to my to my family, uh, and 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 both of my generations. My grandpa was connected to uh, this next guest sort of um, thing, uh, as well as my dad. So uh, it's kind of interesting. But why don't you, uh, Eric, give us a little heads up on uh, who our guest is today? Yeah, let me do that. Uh... I'll give you his name first. It's Mark Carfano. And uh, before I... Man, you can pronounce you, those names great, man. You're great with the name pronouncing, well, I'll tell you that. I've been doing all those commercials over the <laughs> years. I had to learn. Uh, That's right. Mark, uh, he's been a guest on my show a few times. This will be his first time with us. But let me segue into that by telling you, we have a, you know, a lot of listeners and a couple of listeners who I'm in contact with don't have Facebook accounts. They don't have Twitter but they'll send me messages from time to time. And uh, I'm talking about guys like Troy Shockey and Jim Mouse, people like that. And one of them sent me a message last week just giving us kind of a 
high five and say, you guys get guests that I can't hear anywhere else. Don't know how you do it, but every guest is unique. And, uh, you know, it all ties into baseball, and yet it ties into so many other parts of life. So Mark yeah. falls into that category. Mark Carfania was a uh, groundskeeper for the Philadelphia Phillies for over 30 years, I think 33 years. And, of course, you know, the average fan doesn't realize uh, all the things a groundskeeper does and how intimately he gets to know the people in the organization, players and management, and right. all the things he's involved in. <clears throat> Excuse me. So uh, Mark is going to talk to us about that. And also, he is uh, the head of the Dick Allen for Hall of Fame group, trying to get Dick Allen in the Hall of Fame. It's a big movement, has a lot of support, and it's possible it will happen soon. So uh, we'll be talking about Dick Allen. Of course, everyone who who hears our show, I'm sure, remembers the great Dick Allen, uh, played for the Phillies, the Cardinals, the Dodgers, had great years with the White Sox. Uh, and we're going to talk about that. Mark knows Dick very well, and in addition to some other guys who were with the Phillies when he was there. So, yeah, it would be a very entertaining show. Mark's a lively guy. He's fun to talk with and a wealth of experience. So he'll be joining us in a, in a couple of minutes here. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't think you've ever talked to Mark. But, no, uh, but we, we were aware. Facebook friends. Yeah, we're Facebook friends. And actually, you know, once we set this up, and thank you for setting this up, Eric. Uh, you know, in case you guys don't know, Eric and I, we kind of we kind of figure out, like, okay, what do you want to do next week? Oh, I, I can call this guy. We can call this guy. We can call this lady. Um, we can call this lady. We've had two ladies on. So um, That's right. we just kind of we just kind of share our Rolodexes. And, you know, so for, for your friends that are wondering how we get these guests, well, Half of them you know, and half of them I know. Like we're personal friends with these people, and or we've played, you know, we we've, we've worked with them, or in my case, played with some of these guys, or been coached by some of them. So uh, you know, we we're real fortunate to have you know a deep baseball rolodex. Uh, uh, but today, as, I think as, as the listener pointed out, from what I mentioned, um, not just baseball players, not just coaches, guys from all walks of life who happen to have baseball as the backdrop or as right. the centerpiece of their life that, that we talk about. But we've had. Uh, film director John Leonidikis. Uh We had. Ida there you Holmes go again first, with the names. Uh, there you go again with those great last name pronunciations. So. All those years I had to do commercials and That's you know, right. uh, the first, the very first MTA World announcing. Classic. Well, yeah, I was just going to say the very first World Baseball Classic. I was a PA announcer for Team Japan, oh, and God. let me tell you, I had to spend hours of preparation. Oh, for to, sure. To get those right. Because as you know, um, if you mispronounce a Japanese player's name or, you know, put the wrong emphasis on the wrong part of the word, it can be a huge insult to that person. Yeah. So, yeah. By the way, funny story. Uh, you know that manager that's always online that they show his name is Joe Mikulik? And um, he goes crazy and he pulls bases out and, and he's, he's constantly like one of the guys that, that gets the, the viral videos of getting thrown out of games. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, Joe, uh, when you miss, when you pronounce his name in Spanish, it becomes a totally different word, and that became his nickname when we were in Los Mochis together. <laughs> I'll tell you off the air what that means. But anyway, I heard, <laughs> I, 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 I heard the little ding, which means we have our guest on. Eric, please introduce us to our to our our featured guest on the show today. Yeah, joining us today and joining Campy and I is Mark Carfano. Mark, we uh, gave you a little bit of an intro during the the pre-show here, but welcome aboard, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Hello, Jim. How you All doing? Right. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Great to have you on today, and uh, I think it's going to be an interesting show because um, 
you know, it's funny, Eric and I, although we're, we, we both sort of book get different guests who are friends of ours. Like, you know, you've been on show with Eric, you know, the topic today are some are parts of the topics today uh, include, you know, uh, Dick Allen, uh, who my grandpa traded for to come to the Dodgers back in the day. And my dad stole some of his bats. So this will be a fun little topic when we get to that. But let, let, Eric, can you give us a little intro onto, onto what uh, some of the things Mark's uh, uh, doing and what he's done in the past? Yeah, Mark has been, uh, for 33 years, was a Philadelphia Phillies groundskeeper. And a lot of listeners and a lot of you know fans don't really realize how much the groundskeepers get involved with the team and with the players and the things they see. I mean, those guys are there for the whole game, before the game, after the game. They see what goes on in the clubhouse. And uh, they get to see a side of baseball that is very unique to them. Most of us don't get to see that side of the game. Isn't that right, Mark? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. We see a lot of things. Um, you, know, you see the batting practice. You see how, how they work out. You see the nutrition. You see what they eat. see how they exercise. They all have routines. They come in at a certain time. Some have superstitions. Some don't have superstitions. Uh, some are independent. Some, some like to hang out with the crowd. Some like to hang out by themselves. Some hang, like to hang out with the ground crew. And one of those persons who like to hang out with this was, uh, was Dick Allen, one of them. Well, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned that, that he liked hanging out in the ground screw because back in the day, and I'm talking about when he first came up in the 60s and into the 70s, and for most of his career, he was painted very differently by the press than were his true colors. Uh, from everything I've heard and from what we've talked about, uh, he was, you know, portrayed as being very truculent with the media and, and being kind of standoffish, and he really wasn't that way at all, was he? No, no, wise. not at all, not at all. Just, uh, you know, he didn't like to talk to the media, so therefore he didn't talk to him. So their way of getting back to, getting back with him was uh, getting back at him was, you know, to write all this negative stuff. And I and I like to tell the story. I don't know if you ever heard this one. Uh, it was when he returned in 1975, but actually it was in 1976 when they were playing. They had a big lead in the uh, NL East, and all of a sudden, the start of the dwindle, and all of a sudden, this the, is when he had uh, returned the second to the time field, around. Right? The second time yeah. around, and then the talk of uh, you know the 1964 collapse was coming. You know, all, all the negative stuff. So uh, the Phillies brought in a guy that later on. He had a pretty good career, I think, with the Toronto Blue Jays. Rick Pacetti, if you remember him, remember Rick? Yeah, I actually yeah, think sure he was did. a mayor out there in California somewhere. Matter of fact, I know it was because I spoke to him. I'm not sure at a little town. But anyway, um, Rick came in for a pinch runner as a pinch runner one game, and they, pick, they got pinked off. He was there exclusively to pinch run. So that was on the road. Then they came home, and Danny Ozark put him in there again, and sure enough, he got picked off. And uh, he, he come into the clubhouse. He was very upset. He started to cry. And that particular day, Dick Allen was not in the game. And he saw him. So he quickly grabbed him, went into a back room. Uh, it was the uh, where the uh, maintenance guy kept all his tools, little room, and had a little recliner in there and, and a small bench. So Dick put, put Bassetti in the, in the recliner, and Dick sat on the bench. And believe me when I tell you, he spoke to that kid for about, oh, man, it must have happened, say, the eighth inning. I don't know. Back then the game started at 8 o'clock. So say from 1030 to at least 2 o'clock in the morning, I seen him consoling that young kid. Uh, oh my gosh! It, it, it was tremendous. So the next day in the newspaper, next day in the headline is Dick Allen leaves the ballpark early. 
You oh. know, so, oh. <laughs> it was incredible. It was a, he did not leave early. He was back there with that young young man. Like the young players loved him. He, he always kind of find his way, found his way. Like you know, he was independent, and yes. he liked to talk to the young kids. He, he liked to uh, you know try to like ease the pressure from them. Because you know he he realized what he went through as a young kid, so he right. tried to you know reciprocate a little, and you know he did a lot of reciprocation. And uh, all you have to do is ask Goose Gossage, and, and you know he'll explain it. Uh, he said he learned more baseball from Dick Allen than anybody else. And Dick Allen taught him how to pitch, and Dick Allen's not even a pitcher. So uh, just the way he is, and I, I like to call him probably one of the most misunderstood athletes, probably in the history of sports. You know, I mean, yeah. he just was uh, he was a he was a great guy. But, you know, there was something about him that, uh, you know, the media took the wrong way. Uh, you know, he would talk to him, and then if he would be misquoted, he'd get upset, you know. And and uh, and, and then, of course, the treatment in, in Philadelphia. Uh, he he grew up in Wampum, Pennsylvania, which is a small town 40 miles west of Pittsburgh, I think it was. And at where his mother told him uh, everybody, everybody was equal. Everybody got along with everyone. But she warned him and said, Dick, when you get off that plane in Tampa in spring training, your whole life will change. Sure enough, he gets off the plane, uh, you know, going down the runway, uh, down the escalator to the baggage claim. And there you go. White bathroom over there, black bathroom over here. You know, uh, no food. Oh, was that the first time he had been exposed oh, to that? The first time he was ever, you know, in the South. It was when he went to, right. I guess, at the Tampa airport. Or maybe might, might have been St. Pete then, but I, I think it was still Tampa. And then, you know, and then when he went to the hotels, you know, it was black and white only. And it was a, a gentleman by the name of Pete Sear, who was a, the equipment manager, actually was the trainer uh, back then, who, who took care of, uh, kind of took care of uh, Dick. Uh, he would, uh, you know, if Dick wasn't allowed in a restaurant, he'd go get him some food. Uh, if, if uh, you know, there was some certain nights Dick didn't have a bed, they wouldn't allow him to stay in the hotel. Um, somehow Pete. Pete would sneak him in. Uh, he'd give him his bed. Um, I like to tell the story. Uh, I was in spring training with Dick, and he was an instructor. I was rooming with him. This had to be maybe in the early 80s. And uh, we're in a hotel room, and he gets a, a meatball sandwich, and he puts it on top of the lamp. You know, and the lamp's on the lamp. television. I said, Dick, what are you doing? He, put, he goes, uh, I'm heating my sandwich up. I said, heating your sandwich <laughs> up. You know, he said, well, we didn't have microwaves. I said, yeah. He said, we used to do that. Pete used to bring me sandwiches. By the time I got to them, they were cold because I wasn't allowed to eat with everyone else. So I would go back to the room and heat them on the lampshade. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, man. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable stuff. But, yeah. Uh, you know, and a lot of people who are listening, uh, especially our younger listeners, don't realize that they may have heard stories about what it was like back then. But, and it was not all that long ago that players had to go to, you know, Black players had to go to a different restroom. They couldn't eat in the restaurants. And a lot of the indignities that, that were heaped upon them. And then they had to go out and play the game on top yeah, of that. Yeah, right. exactly. I mean, go through all that aggravation, then go out and perform. You know, right. um, I, I really don't know how he did it because I was there at, at Connie Mack, even at the vet they got on. But Connie Mack dating was terrible. They would call him every name, every racial epithet. They, they, they threw batteries at him, stones at him, bottles at him. Now, this isn't stories. I've seen it with my own two eyes. You know, and this is Philly's fans? What's that? Is this Philly's fans? Philadelphia fans? Philly's fans, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. He told me, he told me, he goes, listen, they booed Jackie. They got to like him, Jackie Robinson. And uh, they booed Jackie mostly on the road. They gave him a hard time. He goes, right. they booed me at home from 1965, right after he got in that fight with Frank Thomas. You know, because Frank was a very popular white player. And then, uh, you know what happened there. To, he called Actually, uh, yeah, yeah, let's talk about that for a second, because a lot of people aren't aware of that. Right. And it seemed to be one of the defining moments uh, that that particular period. What happened, uh, Mark? Well, it was, uh, I think it was July 3rd, so the next day there was no newspaper. So there wasn't really many media standing around. Uh, and Frank Thomas was a veteran who was brought in, uh, you know, the Phillies were in that pennant race. So they brought him in to help him out. And he was known to be, a, you know, a, a jokester. And yeah. uh, he was very popular, though, in Philadelphia. He had his own radio show, uh, actually. So... Anyway, he started, uh, he yelled something down to Allen. He called him a boy, and he started yelling something to Johnny Callison. And Johnny was pretty small. And uh, all of a sudden, it went back and forth, and Dick had enough. So Dick went up to him, and uh, he tried to take a uh, punch at him. Uh, but they held him back. He was restrained uh, by four or five guys. And as he was restrained, Frank Thomas got a bat and hit him over the shoulder with it. So immediately the uh, immediately the Phillies released Frank Thomas because Allen was a young star and no way they were going to get rid of him. And they got oh, yeah. rid of Thomas and they told Dick Allen and everybody else because there was no writers around, don't say anything. If you say something, you're all going to get fined. So they couldn't tell their side of the story. So the next day, Frank, Frank Thomas has the privilege of going on the radio. So he blasts the Phillies and blasts Dick Allen. So... Uh, the next uh, July 5th, when the Phillies were playing, um, Dick Allen had a target on his back from that day on. You know, the old white man looked at it. Man, you, you got rid of the, the white player and kept the black guy in Philadelphia, one of the most racist cities in, in the country at the time. You're talking uh, Martin Luther King. And they had the riots in North Philly uh, a few months before that. Uh, it was terrible around Connie Mack Stadium. And, and Dick was right in the middle of it. And like I said, from 1965 on, July 5th, all the way to the time he left, he was booed tremendously. And actually, his son uh, tells a story. Uh, I said, Dickie, did you ever see your dad play at Connie Mack Stadium? He said, I did, but I was pretty young. But I clearly remember my sister, Terry, God rest her soul, who was uh, fatally killed. I don't know if you know that. Uh, around in the 80s, she was a student at Howard University, and it was one of them fatal attraction jobs. And she was a beautiful girl, and she was going to have a – they already had her set up as a TV anchor uh, uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, but unfortunately, she was shot and killed, and then the, the young man turned the gun on herself. But anyway, uh, he was, Dick, he said to me – I remember my sister saying to his, to his mother and Dick's beautiful mom, uh, Era, says, Mama and Grandma, why are they booing Daddy like that? Why are they saying them curse words? Well <laughs> – you know, to hear, you know, to hear him say that to me and to hear and then to fast forward to when his son was playing. So this would be Dick's grandson and Dickie Jr.'s son. And right. he's running the first base at a high school game. Oh, you're just like your grandfather. You're lazy. Or, you know, what, what, what you arrive late, you didn't practice. And, you know, and then, then his friends telling him, oh, we hear your grandfather was a pretty good ball player, but he wasn't a nice person. Now, I can't imagine. So the kid would come home and say, uh, 
that. Was Grandpa really like that? No, no. So that's why Dick Jr. got me and said, look, Dick, is, Dick Jr. is kind of shy, so uh, kind of quiet, just like his father. So he asked me to help him out. He said, I want to get my dad in the Hall of Fame. But more importantly, I want to clear my father's so-called bad boy image. He's not a bad guy. You know that more than anybody, and you know more people than anybody. You know a lot of people. You have a lot of connections. And that day, it was February of uh, 2013, and I've been going strong ever since, you know, and uh, just trying to help him out, clear that image. And uh, we did. We got some great testimonials from players saying what a great person he was. And we sent him all to the Hall of Fame, to the Veterans Committee. We know what happened in 2014. He missed by one vote. We're, uh, we think it's going to be a slam dunk in 2020 that he should get in uh, because he missed by one vote. And, uh, you know, it, like I like to say, if you look on the writer's ballot, somebody gets 68% of the vote, which he got officially 68.75 in 2014. You know, historically, anybody who gets that on a writer's ballot or any kind of ballot is inducted to the Hall of Fame. So right. we think he should be in 2020. Uh, you know, yeah, do the right thing. I hope then, it, like, we hope he's still alive then. He has a little health, he has some health problems. He uh, a minor heart problem, but a real big problem with his hip. Uh, you know, he's 77 years old now. So, you know, in two years, when he w- would take the stand in Cooperstown, he'd be 79 years old. So, right. you know, we're hoping he's alive to enjoy it. So, well, yeah, real quick on that, uh, uh, Eric, let me just drop in a yeah, quick ahead, comment because he, we were talking about, you know, um, Dick's like, you know, his, the the persona, you know, what, what the public thought and then what the players thought. And uh, one of the things that, you know, I grew up with, a, a, there was a, it was actually, by the way, Mark, his bat, my dad, my dad got a hold of some of um, of Dick's bats oh, when he went to the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. And, and my dad would use them when he was still a player because they were so big. They were really good to to practice with, you know, like take batting practice with. Sure. And I'm a, I'm a little kid, so of course I'm going to swing my dad's bat. And these things are like forty, you know, I mean, you've seen them, but they're like forty inches, thirty six ounces. Like, I like I can't believe a human could swing one of those bats against major league pitchers. But uh, one of the things that he had mentioned to me many many times growing up, you know, and and I would ask Dad, who's this guy? Because we had a whole bunch of bats at the house. And I'd be like, Dad, tell me about this name and tell me about this name and. He had nothing but great things to say about about um, at the time he called him Richie Allen, mm-hmm. um, sure. and uh, and and uh, again my grandpa had traded for him, um, you know, to, to come to the Dodgers in the in the you know early seventies, and my dad was with the Pirates at the time, um, so they they naturally had played against each other, and then maybe they you know they got to know each other a little bit somewhere somehow, mm-hmm. and as baseball uh, happens, but he said the same thing to me about you know there's there's certain players that. They just don't like talking to the press and, you know, a lot of these, these writers, you know, that's their job, you know, is to get quotes from especially the top players on the teams. So when one of them just decides they don't want to talk, well, all they can do is, just, you know, they, re- they retaliate with their pen right, exactly. uh, and, yeah, and their typewriter. Yeah, exactly. And, mm-hmm. and he felt that, uh, you know, Dick got a, a, a raw deal, you know, um, especially when you talk about you, when your hometown writers are writing back stuff about you and yet you're killing it. You're doing your job. You're you're an all star, right? Um, so that's that's a, that's a terrible, obviously, you know, legacy um, that that should be righted with a Hall of Fame induction. And my dad felt very, you know, here here's what. Okay, so I played in the '90s, and my dad played for the most part in the '60s, '70s. I was '80s and '90s, and and we we would all look at our peers, and we would say like we would identify certain players that were our age, right, in our era. 
and we'd be just like, okay, that guy's special. You know, if in my case it was like Griffey, you know, and then you'd see guys like, like Deion Sanders who can do things that most guys couldn't, and you right. see things that Barry, like Barry Bonds. And Barry Bonds got a terrible rap. You know, he, he he's a great guy if you're on the team, but not if you're a writer, you know, in mm-hmm. San Francisco. Okay, so – so, but my dad was telling me that when you when you bring up you know Dick Allen's name to the to his generation, he was one of those standout guys that even the the, the best guys of that era, the Hank Aaron's of, the, of that era, and so on, they all looked up to to, to Dick Allen as a player, um, and, and also liked him as a person. So I think a lot of what you're saying uh, and what you're talking about might be be new new and 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 you know new information to a lot of people who you know, were, were uh, uh, exposed to the negative comments that were coming from the writers. So mm-hmm. I'm glad we're having this conversation, and I'm glad that, that you're out there, you know, tooting the horn to uh, to get him into the uh, Hall of Fame. And, and I, I read uh, that article, by the way. Um, uh, Eric, why don't we talk about the article we read the other day that uh, Mark had sent over? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, uh, Mark, why don't you describe it for us so our listeners can hear it directly from the horse's mouth? Uh what you had sent Campy and I both. Was that the one about uh, retiring his number? Yes. Yes. And also, yes. and also the Hall of Fame uh, part that the, uh, the 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 what you would call the urgency uh, oh. part to get him in there. Well, I did say that. Yeah, well, I, I spoke about that earlier about he should be the uh, because uh, you know the health issue, the urgency. Right. But what, uh, what 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 the actually the, the writer? Let's give a little uh, two a shout out to the writer Daryl Bell from the Philadelphia Tribune. This is his third consecutive year. He's written an article that the Phillies should retire Dick Allen's number. And uh, the fans, you know, the Chicago fans too, and the Philadelphia fans, let me just go back a little bit. Uh, the Phillies have alumni weekend, and they do it right. And two years ago, they were going to honor Pete Rose. They were going to retire. They were going to put him on the wall of fame, not retire his number, put him on the wall of fame. But he got in that little trouble again with the uh, – supposedly having uh, uh, something to do with underage girls. We don't want to get into that. He's been in enough trouble, Pete. So the Phillies, you know, they had to scramble around, and uh, right away they weren't going to acknowledge Pete. They had to do something else. So all of a sudden my phone explodes, and, and uh, my uh, computer, people were calling me up and saying, look, why don't they honor Dick now? Why don't they? It's a good time to retire his number. You know, so, so I said to this is this is pretty funny stuff. Uh, I said to the people, I said, the Phillies, I was an employee there, and I left unfavorably, so they're tired of hearing from me. I call them a lot. I try to get their help a lot. I said, you, the people who buy the tickets, you have salespeople who call you up. At, when the team's bed, they want to sell tickets. Call your sales rep. And I also said, for those of you who don't have a sales rep, uh, I knew a marketing guy, Kurt Funk, who's still there, who's a pretty good guy. I said, here's his email. He's vice president of marketing. Send him an email, flood the phone lines, and tell him what you want done. Well, <laughs> my people did. The people did it. And I got a call from my old boss. You know, he, like I said, everyone calls me Frog. He goes, Frog, you better tell your people to stop. They're clogging up the phone lines at the stadium, which is exactly <laughs> what we wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the truth. That's the truth. So, so anyway, uh, the reason I feel they should retire his number, like, like I said, it's twofold. Number one, Phillies as an organization are saying, look, we're sorry what happened. We're sorry what happened. And just to backtrack a little, uh, he was honored by the, uh, in, 19, uh, in 2014, the mayor, of, uh, the current mayor now, who was a city councilman, Jim Kenney, passed a resolution 
you know, to send the letter to Cooperstown. And the way he brought up the resolution, he presented it to council. I was there. Of course, there was a lot of young uh, members of council who did not know who Richie Allen was then. He said he was basically the Jackie Robinson of Philadelphia. He's the Jackie Robinson of Philadelphia. So when he explained it that, that way, and then he explained about throwing batteries at him and stuff like that. So now let's get back to, to retiring his number. I said by retiring his number, they make a two-fold statement. We apologize to Dick, you know, what he did. Uh, we as a city are, uh, are, are embarrassed the way we treated an African-American man. Here we apologize. Also, we know that he was a great player. In spite of all that stuff that you had to go through, you played in an optimum and a Hall of Fame level. And he did, as you said. As uh, Eric had said, yet how could he play at that high level? And he did, because the stats are there. Okay. And then also sends a statement to the Hall of Fame. Look, we set a precedent. We, we normally don't retire a player's number until they're in the Hall of Fame. But we're making an exception here. We're making an exception because we feel this guy belongs in the Hall of Fame. And he missed by one vote. Let's put him in. Let's right what I consider a major wrong and put him in the Hall of Fame. You know, so, you know, that was that article. I'm the um, – <clears throat> I just hope, I just hope they do it. And uh, like I said, there's people who uh, they say they're not going to Cooperstown unless Dick gets in. People in 15 above, they know they saw him play. In fact, uh, uh, his son gave me a call one day. He said, uh, "What do you think, Frog Cooperstown? Just call my father. They want his bat." And my father said to them, "If you don't want me, you can't have my bat." Now, why do they want? Why do you, why do they want his bat? Like you were saying, it's a museum. It's yeah. a conversation piece. You like you were uh, like uh, Jim was saying uh, how big his bat was. You know, so that that is a that's a a conversation piece. So when you walk into a museum, a guy walks into a hall of fame. A museum is for legends. A guy walks in the, in a museum with a son, grandson. See that bat there, or if he's in, a, see that guy right there. He used the bat. He used that bat. And historically, he had some of the longest home runs in the history of baseball. He used a 42-ounce bat. The only guy to use a heavier bat was Babe Ruth. You know, and he produced with it. So, I, I, I just don't. And according to Bill Jenkinson, you know who Bill Jenkinson is? The, uh, I've heard the name. Yeah, he's a baseball historian whose expertise is home runs and how far they traveled. He's before oh. uh, StatCast and all that. And he actually does the legwork. Leg Long story short, after all his research, and I've seen it, it's in a copy book. Unbelievable, the work he does. He started in, in the 60s. Uh, <clears throat> he rates Babe Ruth number one in all-time power, and basically Dick Allen, Mickey Mantle, and Jimmy Fox all tied at number two for all-time power hitting. Babe that is Ruth one, Babe Ruth one, Dick Allen two. Comprehend that. You know, people say, oh, you're not. No, no, it's the truth. He hit 20 home runs over 500 feet. You know, and people say, well, if it goes over the fence. No, again, it's the conversation. It's how far he hit him. He hit uh, uh, 36 balls in the rooftop area at, at Connie Mack Stadium. 19 went completely over, over the roof. Uh, he hit two over the scoreboard, which was in right center field, with 75 feet high. You know, uh, his home runs are legendary. And there's one, uh, when, when he came back, in 1975, when he came back to the Phillies in May, uh, he was—he didn't want to go to Atlanta, but he knew he wanted to play. He wanted to play somewhere, 
So he was taking BP at his farm, in his barn. Somebody brought in some batting practice pitcher, and he would just hit the ball. And he hit it with probably in March or April. And it landed in someone else's property. But it didn't roll because it went <laughs> plop, plop right into the mud. It went right into the mud. Like, I, I, I said, I don't know if I was up at his house. I was talking to his first wife in the house. You know, and they said, come on, we got to go find this ball. Well, anyway, the next day, Mr. Jenkinson goes up there, and they did find it, and they measured it. It was like 540 feet. 540 feet. Oh, man. And this was like in, in the, in the, and it wasn't very nice out, maybe 45 degrees. So, oh, wow. It, and then now that doesn't matter if it was soft toss or whatever it was, because it probably wasn't, you know, you know, it's harder to come in or. The guy would throw a batting practice speed, maybe 70, 80 miles an hour, and, and he crushes it, you know, and he probably was in his bare feet knowing him. I, it's another tremendous story. Uh, I stayed at his house, and, we went, and he wakes me up at 6 o'clock in the morning. He said, come on, we got to go feed the horses. So we walk up. He was like, he might have been 52 or 53 years old. I can't remember. And I walk into his barn, and he had a uh, – it's a dirt barn. And he had a basket there because he was an he was an all state basketball player. He was an equivalent to a McDonald's All American. I don't know if you know that. He had 102. He didn't tell me. His brother Hank told me 103 Division One basketball scholarships. That's how good he was. You know, like I said, this guy was an athletic freak, kind of like a Deion Sanders, Bo Jackson, you know, Allen Iverson. These guys are freaks, freaks in my opinion, and freaks are rewarded and are rewarded with plaques. Uh, going off the uh, track a little, but this is how much I believe the guy is, is different. So anyway, we walk into the barn, and he picks up a basketball. Now this is six six o'clock in the morning. He's got he's in his bare feet. He picks up the ball and jumps straight up in the air, no, no running start, and dunks the ball with two hands. <laughs> <laughs> and then walked over, you know, grabs the bale of hay. I said, I, I I know he could play basketball. Well, well, later on I saw him play. No, 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 prior to that, because this was, he was retired. But he used to play some, they had a, a small court down there near the batting cage. So maybe doing a rain delay or when guy, when other guys were waiting to hit, you know, they're hitting their sneakers. I saw him go one-on-one with Ron Reed, who was an NBA player. And, you know, he made a move on him, went right by him and, and threw it down. You, they had some great games underneath there. And they had some good games in spring training, too, with Dallas Green, was a pretty good basketball player. He played for the University of Delaware. And uh, I'm trying to think who else was good. Lee Ilya played for Olney High School. And they had some good athletes down there back then. And, uh, you know, they would go over to the um, – across the street from Jack Russell Stadium, there was a gym there. And they'd have some pretty good basketball, highly competitive games. And, like, was, Dick uh, was the was, best player. In was fact, Reed he, was he, the Phillies he practiced time? with the Sixers a couple times. He went oh, over to remember, the Sixers. Yeah. Remember Ron Reed, the pitcher? What's that? You remember Ron Reed, the pitcher? I know he's with the Braves. Ron Reed, the pitcher, the yeah. He played for the Pistons, I think. Played the NBA. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I know he pitched for the Braves, and I talked to the Phillies for a while, too. Yeah, he did, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, let me bring something up, talking about statistics and, uh, you know, how things can be relative. Uh, over the years, I, you know, I've talked to people about Dick's different numbers he put up, and obviously the super year that he had with the White Sox when he won the MVP, but in 1971, when he got traded to the Dodgers, where uh, Campy, where your grandpa brought him over, he hit 23 home runs and drove in 90 runs. And people see that, and even it led the Dodgers that year, and the Dodgers actually were in the pennant race right up to the last week of the season. 
but a lot of people see that and say, well, that's no big deal. Those aren't great numbers. Put it in the context of that era. We were just coming out of uh, the pitcher's era, the year that Bob Gibson had a 1.16 earned run average, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. It was only a couple of years later. And the fences at Dodger Stadium were still farther back, the 410 to center field, and uh, I think 395 to the alley. Right. So right. to put up those numbers during that era would probably be the equivalent of hitting, I don't know, 45, 50 homers today. Yeah, exactly. Drive yeah, in about yeah. 140. Mm-hmm. So, and, well, and that, several it, of his years were like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the one thing about the people forget, you know, the you know, LA is uh, in May and June. It's socked in with fog, basically, and the fog can roll in at night. Uh, and now all of a sudden, the balls that you were hitting out in batting practice, they're getting they're stuck out. up into the. They're not going out. And mm-hmm. uh, and I, I went to USC, and I experienced the same thing when we played, you know, our, our night games. Um, of course, our aluminum bats helped a little bit, you know, with the, <laughs> yeah. with the travel. But 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 I'm telling you, though, it is, and, and that's where when I was a kid, there was like a couple of years where they had like the four guys hit 30. Mm-hmm. But when I was right. when I was a kid, the, the the Dodgers record, I think, it was still in the 30s for most home runs by a Dodge, a Los Angeles Dodger player. You know, wow. when you look at you know other other teams, you know, the Yankees obviously they had a guy who hit 60 and. And, and other teams where guys were hitting into their 40s or whatever. But that's historically been a really tough park to get it out of, especially, um, like like Eric said, you know, during the sort of, you know, pitcher. Uh, pitcher's era the sort of, mound. Yeah, pitcher's era. Exactly, yeah. And the mound 15, well, and, uh, 15 inches, or they raised it. And when did they lower, 1970 or 69, I think? 69, I believe. Yeah. I, I completely forgot about the weather. Yeah, and, right, uh, the weather, too. So, so yeah. That was, yeah. that was worked against it, too. Uh, as recently as a couple of years ago, uh, Lenny Randall and I were announcing a game at Dodger Stadium in late June or might have been early July. Right. And we were both wearing sweaters and windbreakers. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it gets that way. And people yeah, don't and think that, about that. That's right. And, you know, and, and you think about the other factors that go into a, a season, right? So, you know, you're playing 81 games at home, sure. And so, you know, that that could be one of the reasons that he wasn't in the 30s. But, sure, you know, there's not there's there was no Denver back then. There was no you know, uh like they were in Candlestick, not this new park that's puny. Oh, you know, oh no, I know, yeah. Oh, I remember. You know, there was I remember. the new yeah. the new Phillies the, the new Philly stadium, you know, is is smaller than my high school field. You know what I mean? Uh, and and uh, uh, Yeah, that's a, and you I, know what Dick told me? Someone I was there and someone asked him, he said, uh, how many would you hit if you played if you played today, Dick? You know, and, and he was standing like at third base at the Citizen Bank Park. He said eighty. Pause and yeah. take at home. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, but, uh, and you know, you're talking about, about yeah, that, just let me get this in here. And, it, he and, it, and it's probably the most important thing that people look at, and the most, uh, it's probably the most uh, talked about thing of why you should be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, is you always say how you do it? How did he do against his peers? And and what was the peak? You know, so uh, you know peak years when uh, when you look at her anywhere from six to eight years. And I guess you know out there the best, you know, the greatest pitcher of my who I ever saw in my lifetime, Sandy Koufax. What do you have? Six good years, and that was it. Right. But what he was still years, the best yeah. I ever saw. So uh, Dick from 1964, I think it was to 1974. Which is eleven seasons. So he had his OPS plus uh, during that time frame was one sixty five, and uh, that led 
all of baseball. That led all of baseball. Uh, I was telling Eric earlier, the he- head of 17 future Hall of Famers. I'm just going to read some of their names. Aaron McCovey, Frank Robinson, Harmon Killebrew, Willie Stargell, Roberto Clemente, Carl Stremski, Al Kaline, and Ron Sano. The best in all of baseball. The best. And his OPS lifetime is 156, ranked 21st all-time, ahead of numerous Hall of Famers. So uh, that's a stat. That's the telltale stat, in my opinion. And lately I've been reading a stat. Uh, I didn't know it was really looked at as much. I don't know how you guys feel about it. It's that 162-game comparison. Have you seen that one? You know, yeah. 162-game comparison. So uh, I have a PR guy. We did a little uh, – we did a little research, you know, with tickets, the offensive, uh, they picked out 12 offensive categories. Uh, let me see. I can give you runs, hits, doubles, triples, home runs, uh, walks, on-base percentage, slugging, OPS, and OPS+. plus. So there's 12, there's 12 offensive categories there. Now, I'm going to read you how Dick Allen fares against, uh, I think, let's see, there's 11 and 4. So there's 15 players here. Now, the only four to beat him out, Frank Robinson, 7-4-1. Mickey Mantle, 7-5. This is in some certain categories. Willie Mays, 8-3-1 one, one even. Hank Aaron, 8-4-1. Now we're going to go to the people he beats out in 162 comparison. It's really amazing. And, and, and not really close, neither. Harmon Killebrew, Dick Allen, 9, Killebrew, 3. Eddie Matthews. Dick Allen, 9-2-1. Carlos Stremski, Dick Allen, 9-3. Al Kaline, Dick Allen, 10-2. Roberto Clemente, Dick Allen, 9-3. Ernie Banks, Dick Allen, 11-1. The great Johnny Bench, Dick Allen, 12. Johnny Bench, 0. Billy Williams, Dick Allen, 11. Billy Williams, 1. William McCovey, Dick Allen, 10. Uh, Willie McCovey, 1. Uh, no, ten one and one. Willie Stargell eleven and one. Orlando Cepeda eight three and one. So how'd you do against your peers? Pretty damn well, I would say. You know, yeah, so. outstanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eric, yeah. Do, you, do we have his war number, Eric? Do you happen to have a a, a, a war number on? on uh, you know, Gallon? I looked it up and I, I cannot remember it now. I didn't write it down. It's, a, uh, it's offensive war. Offensive war. You know, because it's defense. It's offensive war. Sixty nine point nine. Sixty first all time. Offensive. His overall war, I think, is like in the 50s, I think. You know, and it's still, you know, not bad considering he was a good fielder. So, um, yeah, I don't have his uh, – I got it somewhere, but uh, I got some stuff here, like his, the ink test. They go by that, the black ink test, the old Bill James stack. Uh, black ink is uh, – he's 20 – is 20, 70th all-time. That's better than 33 current Hall of Famers. Um, including Lou Brock, Clemente, Bench, Billy Williams, and Willie Stargell. The Gray Inc. test, 75th all-time, better than 47 Hall of Famers, including his contemporaries, Clemente, Carew, Santo, Robinson, Joe Morgan, Tony Perez. Um, hey, Mark, I, uh, explain to people who might not know, what, what, is, what do you mean by the Black Ink and the Gray Ink test? Oh, the bla- okay. The Black Ink test, uh, I tell you, it's a – is uh, what when, when you lead the league in a category when you lead it when you lead and you get so many points for it so black is when you lead the league so okay. uh, if you go in there 
you go on Baseball Reference, you can see it's, as what's his name like to say, uh, uh, the writer from New York. Is it Bill Madden? The New York writer? You know uh, Bill Madden, the New York writer? Hello? Is that his name? Bill Madden. Uh, yeah, he always I don't know. says, I like to look at the bold. The bold is the blank ink. And Dick Allen, he has a lot of black ink there. And, oh, uh, I see. Okay, that makes sense. I see what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and, and the gray ink is uh, when you're in the, either the top five or top ten in an often in, in a category. So, you know, and then they, I don't know how they figured the number out. But, uh, yeah, the black ink is, is when you lead the league. The gray ink is for when you're in, a, in the top five, I think. That's how it is in certain categories. So, when he played, you know, he, he, he was always amongst the leaders. You know, he either led or he was, or he was in the leaderboard. So, uh, you know, that's, that's the ink test. But, you know, it's kind of they're going away from that a little bit now. Now they use the, uh, uh, God, what other stuff, winning runs created and stuff like that. And uh, extra, another one I found, uh, extra base hits. Uh, uh, is, yeah, well, they use a lot of numbers now. And I'm, kind of outspoken about, I'm kind of outspoken about not following the numbers so much. Now, now, a lot of those make sense, like the black ink and the gray ink test. I, that makes sense to me. Uh, I think we sometimes go overboard with numbers. Yeah. And really, let's just look at what the guy did on the field, how he performed during his era, and as you said, Mark, oh, exactly. Yeah. how did he compare with his peers? And that, that tells the tale right there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I yeah, think yeah, there's yeah, another yeah. interesting... Another interesting comment that, that you know, we talk, and, and my dad and I have talked a little bit about this and, and maybe even argued a little bit about this. And, you know, when you think about pitching and you go back to the sort of Babe Ruth era, you know, I, I'm sorry, and I'll, nev- I'll never believe that, that, that you could drop Babe Ruth into today's game right now just like he was back then. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying he wouldn't be a great player, mm-hmm. but he, he'll, he, he would never have seen a slider yet. Right. He wouldn't know what a split finger would be. You know, I'm sure he got buzzed up and in all the time by those old-time guys. But, sure. but he only. But then the starters, would you would get two at-bats against the starter, and then you got a middle reliever, and then you got a setup guy, and then you got a closer. So you right. got you yeah. got you got three, four different pitchers to face in one game when the old-time guys would throw 16 innings, you know, in a, in a doubleheader. Yeah, right, 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 right. You know? And yeah. so, well, I, I, I mean, can, there's I can... a... Go ahead, Ken. Well, I'm, I'm only my, my point in, in saying that is when we look at like the all-time WAR number, um, which Babe Ruth still owns. You know, I got I have to take this the era into account. And so when you when you talk about you know a, a batter who's had success and what amounts to being in the history of baseball the toughest era to hit in, um, you know what happened then. And my dad told me this is like when when he signed in '61. Very, very few pitchers, if any, had a slider. By the time he was done in 73 or 4, mm-hmm. like everybody threw a slider and, right. and was using it effectively with a sinker or something that was hard in. And, you know, a part of what we talk about on this show is some insider stuff, like like we're talking about today with you being an insider, you know, uh, in the game. But, you know, when we compare, you know, what it was like to be in the batter's box and the equipment that they had, my dad was using, you know, kangaroo skin spikes like that was the best most plush um spike they got these things from australia and i know dick allen was in the same era mm-hmm. probably had the same type spikes absolutely um and and when you put these things on you feel like you're wearing um a, a slab of cement i mean these were not <laughs> these were not conducive to uh you know athleticism <laughs> they were just keeping your feet from slipping right 
Right. Uh, and, and, and then you look the at the bat, <laughs> the batting gloves, the, 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 the pine tar. I mean, everything you go down the list, the uniform is being wool and you're playing in the freaking summer. I mean, yeah. <laughs> all of these factors, you know, I, I think about that when, when you look at these numbers and you try to think, okay, how much better would this guy have been today with a maple bat, with a, with a smooth ball, with a perfect pill, as they're calling it, a centered pill yeah, in the yeah, ball exactly. to make it travel further, right? And and the and the travel is so much lighter, uh, the, the the charter planes, the you know no more worrying about hotels. Now he's going to get his own suite at a hotel with you know no worry about what race you are. I mean all of these factors. Can you imagine what some of these guys would have done? Imagine, or can imagine. Well, but let me ask you this, Mark. Let me ask you this. But maybe did that feed his hunger to prove everybody that he could play? Do you think there was a, a factor? where the, the adversity that he was being given by the fans and by, you know, the, 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 the culture uh, fueled him. Do you think that that could have been a, 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 a factor? In I his success? I, could you repeat that? I, everybody, I didn't hear that. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, he, he Dick Allen and a lot of guys in his era of, of African-American and, you know, I'm sure the Dominican guys dealt with it too. Um, you know, all of this stuff, uh, the, the the bigotry and the and the prejudice, um, which was institutionalized. Uh, do you think that 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 if he were in today's game, uh, where he wouldn't be getting that, maybe you know, maybe a little, but not nothing like he got back then. Do you think that that fueled him back in the '60s to to be a to, to play better, um, be more competitive, made him play better, to be to be more competitive, or do you think that that it it actually hurt his performance? Having to deal with that well, that's stuff. A, that's a good question. I think it just. Um, no, I think he would have played better if he didn't have. That. If he was able to relax, he just wanted to have fun, and then I don't think he really had that much fun. Uh, he wanted to have fun all the time. I know he had right. fun when he was at the game, but uh, you know the nonsense outside of the game he really didn't like. So I would just, you know, I would I would call it all part part of the part of the ingredients. And uh, he didn't have all the ingredients there where he wanted outside fun too, but he couldn't have outside fun. The only fun he had was actually playing in the game. So I think it did affect him a little bit and it affected okay, his play just somewhat, but, but, but not, not a whole lot though. He might've been slightly better, you know, you know, maybe, you know, he wouldn't have had them. Yeah. Like, yeah, if, for sure. Definitely. Definitely would have played better if he didn't have to go through that, you know, put up with all that. I call, I call it all nonsense, you know, yeah. Uh, you know, unfortunately, yeah. yeah and, I want to bring uh, up and like I told, uh, let me just tell another story. When uh, you're talking about the, you know, what what he went through, and I told uh, Eric this earlier uh, when he was uh, in Little Rock, they sent him to Little Rock, Arkansas. That's the worst thing you can do. It's the most racist city and state in the country. Everybody knows that it was uh, was the woman on the back of the bus. What was her name? Uh, Parks, was it? Rosa Parks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Rosa yeah, Parks, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rosa Parks, yeah, yeah. So they sent Dick there, and I was telling uh, Eric that he was actually a guinea pig. What happened was in, in 1962, they told uh, the inter- – I'm not sure what league it was that Little Rock was in. I think it might have been the International League. They told Little Rock, if you don't have an African-American player next year and a good one, uh, you're not going – that's it. You're not going to have a franchise ever. So I guess they got the Phillies and said, who's your best player? And uh, they brought Dick Allen there, and uh, <laughs> the rest is history. I mean, uh, got caught every name in the book. Uh, he got death threats. I saw some of the letters. Horrible. They slashed his tires. Uh, he wanted to leave home. He wanted to leave. Called his mother. He was crying. Says, "I want to go home." Mother said, "No. God gave you the ability 
to play baseball. There aren't any people that are going to stop you from playing. You're going to stay there. After he hung up, he said he cried for a while, and then he made himself a little bit stronger. And then uh, maybe in that instance, he said, okay, I'll show these, uh, you know, you know, no good what. And, uh, you know, he stayed there, and he was actually, I, I don't know, the MVP of the team. or the, yeah, he, he hit like 29 home runs, hit 300, and I think he might have been the MVP of that league. So He was the MVP of the league, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, to, to, to do that, I can't imagine doing that. And then, like I said, from 65 to 69 to put up with that, all that stuff in Philadelphia. I don't know how he did it. I, I, I really don't know how he did it. And I, it, it just it just mystifies me that he was able to go out there and perform. I used to see him when he coming back, now batting 15. You would never, ever, ever leave your seat. And the people would boo, call him every name in the book. And then, you know, he hit one over that roof, and everybody would stand up and cheer. And I'd be infuriated, you know. Why oh, yeah. you know, you're cheering him now? What were you doing two minutes ago? You know, but you know he was uh, some of them shots he hit. I mean, I explained them before; uh, they were freakish, and he could run the bases. He had uh, seven inside the park home runs in his career. Uh, wow. Yeah, yeah, and during his era, I think that um, somebody gave me that stat. Uh, well, you know, the one game he hit two. Uh, uh, what is it? Right park home runs. Yeah, one yeah one game he hit two. You know that it was July thirty first. It says since Major League Baseball finally required all teams to put fences around the outfield in the early nineteen hundreds, Dick Allen is only one of two players to hit two inside the park home runs in one game. He accomplished the feat on July thirty first, seventy two in Minnesota against Hall of Famer Burt Blylevin. Dick Allen hit seven inside the park home runs in his career. That ranked him fourth in his era. First was Willie Wilson with twelve. Second and Tied for second was uh, Lou Brock and Roberto Clemente uh, with eight. Fourth was Allen. Uh, Mays was fifth with sixth. And uh, Mano was sixth. And Billy Williams tied. Mano and Williams were tied with five. So he had uh, step. Yeah, step, so stuff like that. Something you would never associate with Dick Allen inside the park. No, no, speed. No, no, he could run. Uh, so these are little great, great athlete, great runner. Um, I can't imagine being a running back or a tight. I guess he'd be a tight end. I guess a football. I don't know, you know. <laughs> but he'd be able to play that too. And and, uh, and, and story another, I, would I think come up relative slugging. Another one I have never uh, since 1901. The Gallant's 14th all time with the score of 139. Only three players from her era from his era are ahead of him: Mickey Mantle, Hank Aaron, and Willie Mays. So. Well, see, I think it illustrates something I'm, I'm going to tell you. Um, I want to ask you a, about a story I heard recently, Mark. But before I do, uh, let me just say, I come down on the side of uh, Cappy's dad, Jim Sr. I think great players can play in any era. Uh, and I want to just mention something Ted Williams said. We were talking about the slider. Right. Uh, I remember reading Ted Williams saying, after his career was over, that the development of the slider was probably had the most devastating effect on batting averages towards the end of his career. And he said it probably cost him five to ten points on his career average. So, uh, you know, but again, that was a challenge for that era. Uh, who knows what they had to deal with up at the plate in the 1920s, 30s, that uh, would have just confused players in the 60s. Anyway, let me ask you. Go there ahead. was a, the, an event. The what? There, there was an event. Uh, I think it was a year or two ago, 
Pittsburgh. Uh, Dick was there speaking. There were a lot of players there, retired players. And at one point, uh, I don't know what the topic was, and maybe you can tell us, he got up and had everybody hold hands and said, basically, we're all in this together. What was that that was going on? I, uh, was it a couple of years ago? Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Um, geez, I, uh, God, I, I don't know what the – I know we talked about it. Maybe I'm having a br- uh, brain freeze here. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. We all do. <laughs> no yeah, worries. I don't, yeah, I don't know what uh, – <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I know. I guess what you're trying to say, he was a team player. He was. That, and he can get very. He can, be, he can lead emotionally too. Yeah. Uh, and as a matter of fact, that uh, one of his teammates recently uh, suffered a stroke, and you and I talked about this, Mark. I'm talking about Tony Taylor. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. This why don't you great. share with share with me what what? Uh, yeah. This, you were there. This, yeah. Uh, well, Tony Taylor was up for uh, alumni weekend, uh, or. Uh, and they put someone in the wall on their wall saying they don't retire. Don't put this year it was Bobby Abreu and all the players who's who are on the who are on the wall saying they bring them back. Tony Taylor, uh, Steve Carlton, uh, Dick Allen, uh, uh, John Crook, uh, Mike Lever. Thought well, well, anyway. So uh, after after the um, unfortunately uh, after the game. On uh, Sunday or, or Saturday, Tony Taylor had a stroke. Back at the hotel, I was there, and because uh, I'm trying to, I'll try to speed this up a little bit. So uh, he goes to the hospital, and uh, fortunately, he, his wife told me he had three mini strokes. Sounds bad, but uh, he had no damage to the brain. So his wife called me up the next day and said, "Look, you can come up and see him because uh, you know he's he's up." You know, he's in and out, though, but you can come come up and see him. So I went up and saw him, and he's sitting in a chair. They had him out of their bed, but it was somewhat mostly unresponsive, you know, and a nurse would come in, uh, uh, the speech therapist. Like I said, fortunately, she could speak a little Spanish, so he can uh, he was able to reply a little bit, but then he would nod back to sleep, and another nurse would come in, check his blood pressure, and then he nod back to sleep. Another one would uh, 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 check his uh, uh, the level for uh, uh, the sugar level. And then he would nod back out. And then, like I said, Dickie Knowles came comes walking in. You know, the former pitcher, Jim, I'm sure Dickie Jim knows who he is. The, 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 the pitch it, uh, yeah, he comes in. Him and Dickie are real tight because uh, uh, Tony was a coach when uh, when Dickie played on on that uh, 80 team. Uh, so uh, they were, you know, they were real tight. Um, so he came in. And, and then Bill White came in. Um, and unfortunately, Dickie had to leave. So Bill White comes in, the player, he played with Tony. You know who Bill White was, the uh, player played for the Cardinals, played with the Phillies, right. Tony Taylor was being made. The, uh, that was the Yankees the announcer. And what's the he the American uh, League president? Association. I think was he American president of the National League, wasn't he? Yeah, National League. Yeah, now they only have one. Right yeah. yeah. Yeah, so anyway, Bill White came, comes in. He's like he's 85, 86 years old. Sound, you know, very sharp, sharp as a bell. And... Uh, and Tony was wasn't really he wasn't uh wasn't very responsive to him, you know. So after 40 minutes, uh, Bill and Bill had his vibe. He, he lives out in like Chester County, which is about 90 miles away. And uh, he said, "Look, I'll come back if I have to. I don't mind driving." So he said to his wife Clara, "When, when is he responsive? When is he going to be?" Oh no, no. She said, "Wait, let me see if I can get him up." So uh, to try to get his attention, everybody calls him Antonio. 
you know, every so I started calling him Antonio, Antonio. And his wife started yelling, Antonio, Antonio. Next thing you know, it was like a miracle, like I told Eric Gurley. His eye popped up, eyes open, and he yells out, Uncle Bill, meaning Uncle Bill White. <laughs> called him Uncle because he was like a year or two older than him. He was a little, Uncle Bill. Then he goes, Froggy, Froggy. And, was, and ever since that day, ever since that day, he's been very responsive, right? So um, during that, my phone, cell phone rings. It's Bill Werndell, who is a good friend of Tony's. I don't know. He was a sports talk show host out there, out there in San Diego. But he knew uh, Tony Taylor from the 60s. Bill was an old TV producer uh, at Channel 6. Actually, Bill White was an on-air talent there. He did the sports. And uh, Bill Werndell was his boss. But after Bill retired. So Tony Taylor, Bill White, and this Bill Warndell, they're very tight. So I got Bill Warndell on a speakerphone. So it was like one big party. So we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, Bill White pulls out his phone. And he calls Willie Mays. Willie Mays answers the phone, and he puts him on speakerphone. As I told Eric, I couldn't. I got so emotional, I, got, I started to cry. He called Willie Mays. And, and Bill White said, Willie goes, yeah, yeah, what's up? He goes, well, I got somebody here that's not feeling well that you try to take out at second base every time. And Willie Mays <laughs> going, no, no, Bill, you know me better than that. I don't, don't try. Excuse me, I don't try to hurt anybody. You know, I play clean. So they, <laughs> so they started talking. Willie Mays, it was, you know, very emotional. And Willie, and Willie, serious. Uh, he says, yo, Bill, you want me to fly in? I'll come in and see Tony. Yeah, and uh, Bill White says. Come on, you're in San Francisco. If you need it, you can come in. You know, and he said, well, Bill, you got to understand, I know a lot of people. I get I get to Philly pretty fast. And they said, no, nah, no, nah, you're all right, Willie. Just stay where you are. I think Willie's, what, 88 or 89? Yeah. He's up there. Yeah, he's yeah. up there. But it was so good. So they had that brief conversation. White, you know, they, he gets off the phone. And then the next statement, he said, he goes, you want me to call Sandy? He's going to call Kopax up after that. <laughs> you know, and then I think it's twice. I said, wait a minute. That's a little bit too much excitement for now. You know, we'll call Sandy later on. But the fact that he called <laughs> Willie Mays was I, – I, I couldn't believe it. was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. And uh, and I, who knows? That might, he might – like I said, he was unresponsive until we called – until we said, Antonio, Antonio, woke him up. And then, you know, uh, Bill Warndell calls, and then they call Willie Mays. And to this day, you know, they, uh, they had said on when I was there Sunday that he wouldn't be able to go home for – for four, uh, for, uh, for four to eight weeks, you know, and he, they wouldn't let him on a plane. Uh, he couldn't have his therapy. He had to have his therapy. But all of a sudden, he got that much better. The Phillies got him a private plane, and he flew home uh, this month. He flew home on Monday, and he got there Monday. I spoke to his wife on Tuesday. So he's doing fine. He just has to get that blood pressure down just a little. Then he'll actually start the physical therapy. But as far as his mind and brain, he's a sound mind. I don't think there's any paralysis. You know, and, uh, you know, God bless him. God bless Tony Taylor. God bless Willie Mays. And, you know, God bless Bill White. And, you know, God bless baseball, I guess, because well, you know what it's, I was it's a beautiful sport. Nothing, nothing heals like baseball. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Game, yeah. You know, people want to play. Baseball is your life. That'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great story right yeah, there. And, and I, actually, I read that. I read a, a, I read just sort of what you would call the outline, you know, just the, the news article about the incident, about the stroke. And I I just thought about how ironic, you know, that is after you've just been, you know, you know, honored and, and, and in front of, you know, your hometown fans. And then, boom, right. you get hit with this. So yeah, uh, right. that's, yeah, that's sure, a yeah. fantastic, uh, fantastic story. And yes. By the way, Mark, I, we, we, we've been on with you for almost an hour now. I really appreciate your time. Yes, um, I know. Eric, Eric, did you want to uh, maybe have any closing questions or 
any any statements or, or comments uh, for Mark before we let him go? Uh, actually, I'd like to uh, have Mark let people know how they can get a hold of him and how they can uh, support the Dick Allen for the Hall of Fame movement. Uh, how can they reach you, Mark, on Facebook or Twitter or yeah, anywhere else? Yeah, I got um, – there's uh, – yeah, Facebook's the best. They have a – there's a, this group page. Dick Allen belongs in the Hall of Fame. Uh, just um, – just request to join, and I will accept you. And there's a plethora of information in there. We also have a website, uh, www.dickallenbelongs.wordpress.com. Um, sometimes people say it's better for uh, just to get my email. If you could give that, and I will send you all the infra- information. It's uh, Mark, M-A-R-K-C-A-R-F. Maybe you can write it down and you can read it over Mark Karf at Verizon.net. All right. Mark Karf, M-A-R-K-C-A-R-F, at Verizon.net. All right. Yeah. All right, perfect. Yeah, man. Like I and yes, we do have a web, yeah, there's a website. Here's what I tell people, and another reason why, just Google Dick Allen Hall of Fame, and you'll see more articles written about him. You know, not, you know, not by not me. I'm just saying, written about him than any other player of why he should be in Hall of Fame. You know, that, 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 I'll close on that statement right there. Just Google his uh-huh. name, and you'll see what For I mean. For sure. Yeah, and you that's, can probably find right me that there. way, too. Yeah. And, and there's no other player. I mean, uh, two in, uh, the last ballot he was on, he's the only player to win two in-season major awards. He won that uh, 72 MVP with the White Sox. And in 64, of course, he was the uh, National League Rookie of the Year. And I think right. there's only I think there's only two other players that do that uh, uh, that are in the Hall of Fame. No one else ever did that, you know. So uh, that even, that's even an accomplishment, you know. So uh, it's just well, we'll certainly be watching. This yeah, and yeah, yeah. Reporting and watching to see what yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah. And, and I just uh, try, you know, just spread the word. Read a story. If if, you, if you're on Twitter, it's at Mark Carf. I'm on air. I, I I tweet something every day about Dick and. Uh, um, you know, and I always say. Uh, part of his resume or what he had to go through and uh, what part, what he had to go through, that's A, and B, is his long home runs. Because like I told you, the Hall of Fame wants his bat. They want it for a conversation piece. So uh, that is part of who he is. And if I could just add, I, I don't know how much time you got, but I know it's podcast. I can go as long as you want. We, what we've been doing, I've failed to say that I should have said this uh, from the beginning in the about four years ago we went to the uh, uh, Archdiocese of Philadelphia uh, I guess uh, court, uh, piggybacking off of what uh, the mayor of Philadelphia said calling in the uh, Jackie Robinson of Philadelphia we went to the uh, Philadelphia school district the administrators and later we went to the Archdiocese and our point was every kid in high school today Probably 99%, or probably 100%, know what the number 42 means in baseball, right? You know what it means? That's right. Jackie Robinson. Yep. And it's retired. There's stories about him. But what they don't know is right here in Philadelphia, they had one, you know, that went through similar, and that's number 15, Dick Allen. You know, so we had three co- we had college professors involved in this, and we wrote out curriculums to these, to the, to the uh, faculty, to the curriculum department for all levels of school. Uh, middle school, no, uh, elementary, middle school, and high school. And we told them, here, here's a lesson plan right here. Here it is. 
If you want it, here it is. You can use it. You can put it on. It's called something like schoolnet.com. Or we'll go in your classroom and uh, we'll go in and teach you. We'll go in and, and uh, make a nice presentation. We'll leave it up to you. So um, that's what we did to the – we went to both administrators, both school systems. Long story short, they called. They got in touch. They said, look, we'd rather have you come into our classrooms. So for, for the past uh, probably four or five years, we've been going – well, since 2016 – or 2015. So four, we'll be going on our fifth year, going into the classrooms, uh, making Dick Allen presentations. And uh, last year, uh, yeah, t- last school year, which I would say was like April of this year, 2019, it was the baseball season. And one of the uh, athletic directors of the public school says, uh, how about you make a presentation to my baseball team instead of my gym class or some uh, or history class? I said, well, okay. So, I went there. We went there, and I don't know that when we ran the campaign in 2014, I had some shirts can- uh, made up, uh, a couple thousand. He won't campaign, so we'll explain. Dick Allen for the Hall of Fame. So I had some of these shirts left over. So I gave him. We gave uh, each kid on it had some leftovers, and we gave them to each kid on the uh, baseball team, and they were to wear them for a pregame uh, photo or wear them during the game. And I was pretty close with one of the TV guys, Yuki Washington, and he was going to arrange to send the TV crew down there when, when the team was coming to play a game near Citizens Bank Park. So now in the interim, the way my mind thinks, I'm saying, well, this is just one team. Now, could you imagine every high school team with a shirt? You know, but naturally that costs a lot of money. So <laughs> I was talking to Larry Christensen. You remember that name? He pitched for the 80 team. Oh, yeah. Remember Larry Christensen? Yeah. You remember him? Well, anyway, he's a very successful businessman. So I had called him about something else. And I said, Larry, I said, uh, would you be interested in, uh, I have this idea. I'd like to get a T-shirt for, it, when I figured it out, it was close to a 1,000 shirts. They're so talking a lot of money. I said, would you like to be a sponsor? I, and I'll put your name on there. I'll get a couple sponsors and hope we can get enough shirts. And with no hesitation, he said, Frog, I'll pay for them all. So <laughs> we got T-shirts made up called Crash, because he was called Crash Allen, because of the helmet. Crash course in the classroom. Dick Allen belongs in the Hall of Fame. And every, we gave him to every high school baseball player in the, tra- in the, in the Philadelphia area, and they wore him. Uh, you know, That's awesome. Yeah, it was, yeah. yeah. And he paid for them all. He paid for them all. And, that, it, yep, yeah, but it is awesome. So people care about him. People want him in the Hall of Fame. Uh, uh, every telecast, uh, you know, what? Uh, I remember uh, anytime there's a long home run hit, you know, it, his name always comes up. And uh, I've been trying to get a hold of, uh, uh, not Richard, Harold Reynolds. He, uh, he was on the, when he was on ESPN on SportsCenter, uh, he used to say, you know, they'd make a big, uh, big issue out of, uh, say, a Mark McGuire home run. He'd say, well, yeah, but it still didn't hit him as far as Dick Allen did. So I've been trying to get a hold of Harold, you know, <laughs> to, uh, you know, you know, to say how great of a ball player, I can't get him. I wrote to, uh, I wrote a letter to uh, MLB. I think they're up there. They're in New Jersey, aren't they? MLB Network? I don't think they're in New York. Anyway, I wrote a letter. He never wrote back. But I'll get him eventually, you know, to sing his praises <laughs> for Dick. But, uh, uh, you know, like I, the power, you know, uh, that that was going to be my slogan until it changed. Uh, you know, he put it in flight, time to get it right. Dick Allen belongs in the Hall of Fame. So, uh, and uh, we have something coming up. Uh, when he comes on the ballot, and um, he's going to be do it, uh, he'll be on the ballot. Hopefully, 
in the December of 2020, and the announcement will come in the fall of 2020. Uh, we have something uh, that's going to be. Uh, I cannot tell you what it is, but it's going to it's going to blow it'll blow everybody away in the baseball world, and we, we we're so excited about it, but we can't reveal what it is, and uh, and that'll put that'll put Dick over the hump. Well, we're hoping so. Uh, look forward to that day. <laughs> well, yeah, we look forward to that. Awesome. Uh, uh, Mark, as always, always enjoy talking with you. I yes. thank you for being with us today. And I and, appreciate uh, we'll, it. We'll really. make sure we'll make sure and forward this uh, uh, tag you with this when it gets posted. Yeah. So yeah. again, thank you very much, and best of luck to you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, thanks a lot, thanks, Mark. Jim. That's thanks, awesome. Jim, yeah, you're great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I know I go off track. I get a little emotional there, but people say it's oh, not. I love uh, the passion. They call it passion. Love the passion. That's what it's passion. That's what I call it. I That's get a little right. excited sometimes, but it's something, you know, I've been, like I said, I've been started writing letters first year on the ballot, 1982. So it's 37 years of hearing or reading a word no. That's kind of frustrating. So we want to change that no to a yes, you know, next let's year. Make so. it, let's make it happen. I, I hear it. you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All righty. Take care, That's guys. Awesome. Thank God you. Bless. Take care. Uh-huh. God bless. Yep. Oh, Eric, that was super cool right there, right? <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, so I mean, there's so much insider, and again, you know, here's a guy who's a baseball lifer. You know, he's down there every day just doing his day job, and oh yeah, there's, you know, uh, you know, you know, guys who would uh, that that are you know world famous players, and they're just his friends. You know, that's that's <laughs> yeah. baseball insider stuff, right? And that's what I think is so cool about what we're trying to do with this show uh, is sort of enlighten you know the average uh, person who might be a fan or or played a little ball. Um, that, you know, hey, you know, these guys are, they're, they're actually most, I mean, I, I can say in my experience, literally 90% of the players I played with or against were, were guys that I could hang out with that I really like, were genuine people that worked their asses off, that felt grateful uh, to be where they were, um, and every day they came in with a great attitude, you know, and sure, there were 10% assholes, we, you know, but that's, you know, you're going to deal with that every now and then. You're going to you know? have that in every profession, too. So. Right. And more, and some, you know, a lot more. Yeah, Trust me, I, I, as soon as I got out of baseball, there was a lot more uh, in real life than there were in the in the clubhouse. So, uh, but I, I think this was a, too. yeah, and this was just to me a great in- example of, you know, here here's a guy who, I mean, these guys were like, uh, you know, like uh, friends. Just they were friends and they worked together, um, and and now their lives are, you know, uh, tied together and maybe for. You know, especially if, if if Dick gets into the Hall of Fame, you know, you can say that Mark and 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 Dick Allen were, you know, almost uh, they they were destined to, to be together. I mean, it's yeah. amazing. But I mean, it's know, but, funny, uh, but it's true. Yeah, and I think you know this that this was a, a an interesting show, a little bit off of, you know, some of the topics that we brought um, to the table. But again, it was more from an insider's look, and that's really what we're trying to, I think, bring out in in our little conversations here, just like you and I do, and we're. When we're you know just chatting on the phone about this and that, so yeah, so uh, something and, you said at the at the very end uh, when he was talking about sometimes he gets emotional and stuff, and you mentioned passion, and uh, you and I have had this conversation, man. Passion is what keeps us going. It's it's what keeps us excited, and it's one of the reasons both of us, you know, had our our time in baseball where we excelled at some point, and why we still love the game and being passionate about it. So right. uh, Mark has that passion. I love that about him. Every time I talk to him, I come away with this feeling of high energy, you know. Absolutely. And he definitely, uh, you know, um, you can hear it just coming out through the stories and, and, uh, and, and 
you know, that's that's what you know I think makes makes the conversation interesting. Obviously, we don't, you know, some it's kind of like like with especially with some of the young people I work with, it's almost like they 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 are anti-passion. They just want to be ho hum, like because that's cool or something. And and I'm like, no, nah, I like the guys that deliver deliver it with emotion and and deliver it with passion you know that, that that this is really how i feel uh and i'm so and i'm so you know fired up that this is going to be an awesome thing whatever blah 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 but yeah. again I, I i love the passion that we heard and by the way i wanted to ask some groundskeeper uh questions that we never got to like did he ever um you know maybe grade the uh the baseline so that it slanted in so his base runner his batters could bunt and keep the ball fair you know yeah, stuff I like that about, i was thinking about those kind of <laughs> questions too yeah because yeah. my my grandpa had that done with uh, when when Maury Wilson was with the Dodgers, he he went down to the field and he told those guys, "Hey, we got one of the best bunters and the fastest guys in the game. You make sure that that ball is going to stay fair." And so they they graded that down a little bit. I don't think that's a rule. If it was, don't disqualify <laughs> the Dodgers. But uh, but that's I remember hey, hearing about that. But but here's the thing, uh, and and this just came out in in the Little League World Series that that uh, one of the uh, one of the coaches. Um, for the little league, in the Little League World Series, one of the coaches had uh, he was stealing signs. He was having their base runners just second second steal signs and give the batter the pitch, you know. And and then the other and the other coach called it uh, what was it unsportsmanlike, dis- dishonest, uh, you know. Uh, dis- oh. Like, and I'm thinking to myself, dude, like we were stealing signs at eight. Like, like why don't you teach your guys how to like flash the signs with a sequence and, uh, you know, and 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 like if you're not if you're not cheating you're not trying i mean that was that was that's always been the motto in baseball right so anyone science is so much a part of the game that if, if those kids are going to continue playing it's going right. to be something they they learn i mean <laughs> wow why would you so, complain about that just learn to do it better is what i would say that's right and so anyway but these the, the, it's so it's so it was so refreshing to hear sort of like a different you know like an old school um you know, a, a player crying, the first story Mark told us, you know, a player crying, Dick Allen, you know, uh, going in and consoling him in the in the maintenance room, you know. This stuff still yeah, happens, yeah. I'm sure. We just don't hear about it, you know. So We don't hear anyway, about it unless we, we don't hear about someone it. like Mark. That's right. So, anyhow, I just thought that was a really fun uh, a really fun interview and, uh, and really informative. And if you, if you have any votes for the Hall of Fame and you're listening and you weren't uh, influenced to vote yes for Dick Allen today, well then you're not. You should not be voting because then I think you don't we have, have a passion left. That, that's what I'll say. That's right. I think we have uh, we have more than enough evidence uh, after this show. I think we have more than enough reason to say yes. This is a guy who you know. If you're putting Harold Baines in, you better be putting the Dick Allen in. You know what I'm saying? Like that, that's that's for sure. This is a guy who was uh, you know at that Hall of Fame level, and you know. Sure, he maybe wasn't the most friendly guy to the press, but he certainly was to his teammates and and to the people that knew him close. Uh, and and at the end of the day, it's really not shouldn't be a popularity contest or a right. or a mor- or a moral like uh, like like a moral compass thing. Um, it should be the best. If you were the best players, one of the best players in your era, and the numbers support that, um, then I think that should be the the final you know the final really reason. So again, for you Hall of Famers uh, voter voters out there, uh, be sure to make that checkbox for yes uh, when you yes, get that ballot. Never, for... never been any question that Dick Allen performed and put up the numbers 
and did the job on the field. It, it always his detractors always had to do with uh, you know media and things like that. So as you were saying, uh, the two don't go together. He did the job right. on the field. He belongs. Period. Right. That's right. So uh, Eric, let everyone know how they can get a hold of you. Okay. Uh, you can get me on Facebook, Eric Menenberg. That's E R I C is my first name, not K E R I C. Uh, L E N A B U R G. Uh, send me a message or a friend request. <coughs> Excuse me. And on Twitter, uh, at Eric Menenberg or Doctor of Baseball, capital D R of Baseball. And uh, I get a lot of messages on Twitter, so feel free. Awesome. And then uh, you can catch me, Jim Campanis Jr., on Facebook. And um, same, it's uh, at Jim Campanis on Twitter, which I don't go to a lot, but I still uh, check it out. And certainly send me messages through all the Facebook messaging, Twitter messaging. Uh, but we also have a uh, we also have a, a little email address if you want to shoot yes. us a little note. Yeah, and that is driving them in, and that's a driving with a with a G, the full word, and then E M like short for them, driving um in at yahoo.com. We check that email every so often, so go ahead and uh, shoot us with any questions, or maybe you have an idea for a show, or maybe you have an in to get a cool guest. We want to hear it. We want to. We want to. You know, hear what you guys are thinking. So absolutely. Uh, and, and speaking of cool guests, let me just briefly touch on next week's guest. Uh, all right. Yeah, we're going to have Eric Gray. Eric has just released a book called Bases to Bleachers. And this is uh, Inside Stories of Baseball, but it's unique, Campy, in that it isn't written about uh, the guy who led the league in anything last year. It's written by fans. And uh, Eric first approached me a couple of years ago. This is when I first met him. Uh, he knew that I'd been announcing, and he wanted to get an idea from me, get my take on what was the most fun or most interesting game I had ever gone to. So um, I wrote a little story. It's in his book. And that's what the book is filled with, personal stories from people not only work in the game like me and you, but uh, regular fans who go to the ballpark. Eric crisscross the country, got some really great stuff. Uh, I can tell you the, the story that I shared with him, because it, it is kind of unique. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, 21 years I've been working as an announcer in baseball. And you would think that over the years, I would have seen a no-hitter in person. Now, I've seen some close ones. But the only no-hitter I've been at in person, I was 12 years old at Dodger Stadium, and Bill Singer was pitching for Dodgers, 1970, July 20th, 1970. And he no-hit the Phillies. Uh, right. And I mentioned that there are two things about it I want to mention briefly, and then, then I'll let you read the story along with all the others. Uh, in the ninth inning of that game, Steve Garvey was playing third base for the Dodgers. He wasn't the first baseman yet. And as anyone who was around then remembers, he was a nightmare at third base. Yeah. Uh, that's why they moved him to the first. He couldn't field. So at the top of the ninth inning, uh, Dodgers manager Walter Alston brought in Maury Wills to play third, made the defensive change. And sure enough, as it always, something special always happens in a no-hitter, Wills had to make a diving stop and throw out the runner from his knees, got him by a step to preserve the no-hitter. That was one thing about it. The other thing is, one of the Phillies pinch hitters that day, uh, in a blues the eighth inning, a guy named Byron Brown, who had an eight-year major league career. And little did I know at the time, I was 12 years old, little did I know that about uh, 25 to 30 years later, Byron would become my partner in the announcing booth in the Arizona Fall League when I first got started. 
uh, he was my first partner, and we became good friends. He's to this day one of my closest friends. So that's part of the story too. But uh, that's awesome. So those are the kind of things that are in this book. And you know, if you want to read a biography about some player that's uh, nothing but slack jawed admiration, then this is not the book for you. If you want to read a biography of a player who maybe spent the weekend answering questions into a tape recorder, uh, this is not the book for you. This is you know, down-to-earth people, people like us that go to games that purely love the game of baseball. They have a joy for the game of baseball, writing about it, and it translates. Yeah, you know, the humanity of it comes through these stories. So, yeah, Eric will be with us next week, and uh, looking forward to having him on. Well, can't wait. That'll be awesome. So uh, I think we're we're uh, I'm going to do a little research on this, Eric. Have a little bit more info on uh, our our guest next week, the, another Eric. So it'll be we'll have to we'll have to call you Lenny next week, so we don't have <laughs> yeah, to be Eric. A lot of people call me that. Uh, the only time it gets confusing is when Lenny Randall and I are working together. Then you get yeah, that's right. No, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, we can we we can call you guys uh, Sun and Devils. How's that? Yeah, there, yeah, we both are Sun Devils. There, there you go. There you go. Perfect. So, uh, Eric, what a great show! Thanks again for thinking of Mark. This is going to be a fun one. Um, I'm going to, we're going to, I'm going to do, like I said, do a little research on next week's show. Looking forward to that. Um, Look back, by the way, at some of the shows we've already got in. This will be, I think, episode 14. So, if you guys haven't uh, listened to any other of our other shows, check out, you know, the places where podcasts live, like like you know, iTunes and you know, Stitcher and Anchor and all these places, and you can see. Uh, some of the other shows, some of the other guests, some of the other topics. Uh, so check out some of those as well. Yeah, somebody and, asked me uh, the other day about uh, how to get, if you don't have those apps yet. Um, if you have an iPhone, I'm not sure about Androids, but there's an app that comes with iPhone. It's a podcast app. Just click on there, and you can type right. in our names, and, and up they come. It's the little purple one, guys, the purple one that's on, like, your second page. Uh, and I didn't even know I had one until I started working for an ad agency that um, – specialized in podcast advertising so so it, even, <laughs> even an old dog can learn new tricks folks so if you if you if you don't know where your podcast button is you're probably not listening to this show right now <laughs> but um but yeah there uh there there's a lot of other places to get it uh and and we're uh you know we're on like nine different um podcast platforms right now so most That's if you right. know how to find it find it you can even just google uh by the way driving them in um with jim campanis and eric Lindenberg and boom Google does its thing, and uh, you click a button, and boom, there it is. So yeah, uh, yeah, and take a listen. To a, not even the name of the show. You type our names in there, and it comes up. So there you go. So yeah, not even. Uh, it, so we have plenty of other uh, episodes to check out if this is your first, uh, and there'll be plenty more coming. So keep listening. And so for my partner in crime, Eric Lenneberg, is Jim Campanis Jr. Uh, signing out from driving them in. I'm uh, looking forward to the next time, Eric, and next week. Take care, buddy. Yeah, have, have a safe week, folks.